Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit unitechurchak.org. Now enjoy this message from Mariah Anderson. Good morning. Good morning, guys. I'm so excited to see so many faces here today. It makes my heart full. I love this house, and it's my pleasure to be bringing the word today. Um, This week has been crazy. It's been bananas, y'all. So I appreciate your prayers, and I just am thankful to be in this house. I'm going to open up with a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump straight into the word of God. So get ready with your Bibles, your notebooks, and prepare your hearts to receive the message that God wants to drop into you, because I do believe that God wants to do something in the hearts of his people this morning. It's about expectancy, right? What are you expecting this morning? I'm expecting a lot. Jesus, we need you this morning. We want you this morning. Come and captivate us. Come and sweep us up. Come and speak revelation and truth and wonder. God, that we would stand in awe of you, that we would stand in wonder of who you are and your great love for us. God, who you call us to be and who you consider us to be to you. We just thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Jesus, for your kindness and your goodness. And I pray a blessing over your people this morning that you would meet us right where we're at, right in the middle of the mess, right in the middle of the storms, right in the middle of the things. You would come and pursue our hearts and speak truth to us. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in our series on 1 John, and we're continuing today in chapter 3. We're starting chapter 3, and we're going to start right in the beginning in verse 1. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world do not recognize that we are God's children because they do not know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not shown us what we will be like when Christ appears, but we know that we will be like him. For we will see him as he really is, and all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. Here, John is opening up this chapter with amazement, amazement about this love that makes us his God's children. And every time I read the beginning of this chapter, I think I think of the song, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the sons of God. He's saying, behold the manner, behold the miracle, behold this love. Have you ever seen anything like it? Have you ever experienced anything to this portion, to this measure? He lavishes it on us. But what makes us so slow to receive his love? To believe that we are his children. What prevents us from that powerful statement that you are a child of God from it going deep into your hearts? I know that for me, oftentimes it's been pride. It's been pride that demands that I prove myself worthy of the love before I will receive the love. Sometimes it's unbelief that God can be this good, that he could be this loving when there's so much hurt and pain and wrongdoing in this world. How can there be this loving, all-loving God when there's so much mess 
here. So unbelief can stop us from believing in the love of God. And more often than not, it's shame that says we are so unworthy of being loved that we cannot accept his great acceptance of us. That we won't let his love penetrate our hearts, that shame keeps that love far and distance from us, that we can't wrap our mind around this God who can accept us even in the midst of our great failures and our great tragedies and our great mistakes. We won't let it penetrate our hearts. But God says he is not ashamed to show us his great love for us, that we are the glory of his love. And Spurgeon even puts it like this. He says, I have published it to the heavens and to the earth. I have made it known to the angels that you are my children, and I am not ashamed of you. I glory in the fact that I have taken you for my sons and my daughters. You see, not all people get the privilege of being called children of God. Not all people get to have that privilege. It's important to understand that the children of God, that this is a special group of people. Those who have put their faith in Jesus, those who have called on his name, those who have allowed him to accept the gift of salvation that he offers to them, those are the people who are children of God. Yes, God's sacrifice or Jesus' sacrifice was for all of humanity, for the penalty of all sin, for all of humanity, but only those who choose to put their hope and their faith in Jesus are called God's children. So we have these privileges because we have put our hope in Jesus. We have these privileges, but first I want you to know that the Father says that you are his In 2 Corinthians 6, 8, it says, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters. The son says you are mine. He is not ashamed to call you brothers. That's found in Hebrews chapter 2. And the spirit echoes the same message. And it's found in Romans 8, 16. The spirit himself bears witness that we are his children. So we have these privileges of being the children of God. In Romans 8, 14 through 17, it says, for those who are led by the spirit are God's children. For the spirit you have received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are God's children, we are heirs, heirs with God and co-heirs with Christ. As children of God, we are no longer slaves. As children of God, we are no longer orphans. The children of God are given authority. The children of God are given the honor of the family name. The children of God are given assurance, security, and intimacy. These are great privileges of children of God, that we can walk in a confidence, that we can walk with a peace, that we can walk with some swagger and say, hey, I know that I know that I know that he's convinced that he loves me. I'm absolutely, totally convinced that he is convinced that he loves me. Because sometimes I'm not convinced that he loves me, but when I remind myself that I am a child of God, that he delights in me, that he has known me by name, that he's on my side, that he is my defender, that there is nobody else who's in my corner, I know that I'm convinced that he is convinced that he loves me. Are you convinced today that he absolutely loves you? Because there's no love like the love of Jesus. And he will hunt you down. He will seek you out. He will call you by name just so that you know that you know that he loves you. 
You see, orphans fear rejection and loss of relationship. Slaves obey out of fear of punishment. But children get the privileges of the house. Children get the honor of their father, and they get to wear the family name. We get to bear family likeness because God becomes our father. So we are made in his image and we get to bear the representation of who he is and we get to be his ambassadors into this world. It's, he puts his seal of approval on us. God actually implants his nature in us. That we become like his likeness. He starts a miracle on the inside of us, transforming us so that we become more and more and more like Jesus. Romans 8, 29 tells us, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You see, God's ultimate goal in our lives is that we would become like Jesus, that we would have a hunger and a thirst to be like the one who made us, that we would return back to our home, which is found in him. We'd be identified by being his. And we get to, and John speaks to this in the fulfillment of that when we actually are in eternity with him. Then we will know what he's really like. Verse four, everyone who sins is breaking God's law for all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins and there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not live in sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. So this echoes a scripture that we find in the Gospels that says, if you were to really keep the royal law found in scriptures, love your neighbors as yourselves, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. For whoever keeps the whole law and stumbles at just one part is guilty of breaking it all. We know that we are all guilty of sin. We're going to sin. This is what we will do. We will struggle with sin. This is what we will do. We desire the things of our flesh. We are guilty of sin, and sin is always an attack on our relationships, our relationships with ourselves, our relationship with God, and our relationship with each other. And, and John is saying here that if we stay in Christ... That Jesus takes away that sin. And here's what he does. When we are in him, he starts that miracle on the inside of us. And his, the penalty for our sin has been complete, paid completely. So Jesus came to take away, the, take away the penalty for our sin, take away the power of our sin, and take away the presence of sin. And we can't do these things in our own strength. And in our best efforts, in our best attempts, we come up short. We stay trapped in the bondage of our own sin we still stay like we're under the penalty of sin. The penalty is immediately paid when we put our faith in Jesus. The penalty for your past sins, the penalty for your future sins, the penalty for your current sins has already been paid. That penalty is washed away. Jesus says that he has made you a new creation in Christ. The power of sin the bondage that leads to death is removed by his work as we respond to him, as we stay in him. There's a key thing. So where do we go in him? Where do we stay in him? 
It's abiding in this place with Jesus where his his heart is making our heart responsive to the things that are out of alignment with his. So that we won't be comfortable, we won't grow content with the power or the presence of sin in our life. He does it from the inside out, not the outside in. So continued sin. In John, in the verse 6, he says, Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin, but anyone who keeps sinning does not know him or understand who he is. And here we hear it again, in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. And the point here is, who are you abiding with? Abiding in sin or abiding in God? It's our abiding place. It's this place that we hold above in the most treasured spot of our heart. Who are we abiding with? When we abide in Christ, he does this miracle. He changes our hearts so that we're sensitive. And it's important that we understand what the Bible means and what it doesn't mean when it says does not sin. Okay? When it says does not sin, it means it does not live a lifestyle or a habitual cycle of staying in the same place of sin growing comfortable with it, condoning it, leaving it alone and saying it's fine, just rub some grace, put some Jesus butter on it, it's fine. No, John is saying if you, if you are abiding in Christ, you literally will be so uncomfortable with your sin because you will have the conviction of the Holy Spirit who will lead you into life. If you are living in that place where you are not, your heart has been calloused, Jesus comes into your heart and he starts to peel off those calluses ever so slightly so that you're not comfortable with your old way of life. The, no, the old person is gone and the new person is coming. He's starting a new work in you. And this is a miracle. Transforming us. Making us desire things that we used to not desire. Making us hate the things that we used to love. Like there was a battle that was once happening and now we're having victory over it. He paid a price so that we could have victory over it. John already told us in chapter 1, it says, If we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves and we're liars. And the truth is not in us because here are the facts. We all sin. We are all tempted. We're all drawn away into, our, into sin by our own desires. And in John 1, 8, he's talking about those acts of sin, But in this verse, he's talking about that place of staying in a place without repentance, without an unchanged heart. There's a big difference. So the question is not, do you sin or not? It's how you react when you sin. Do we give in to the pattern of sin in our life and let it dominate our lifestyle? Do we allow it to attack our relationships with ourselves and with others and with God? Do we cower and run and hide? Or do we confess and bring our sin to the mercy seat of Jesus and let him deal with it? Because we know that mercy triumphs over judgment. That we know his kindness is there and available to us. You know, John told us in the previous chapter right before this, he says, my dear children, I write to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does, like FYI, here's a heads up. When you blow it, when it happens, basically, not if it happens, but when it happens, we have an advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus, the righteous one. The righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sin. 
and not only in ours, but for the sins of the world. Romans 8, 1 through 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. There is now no condemnation. Condemnation is a very strong disapproval of the actions or a sentencing to punishment. He is not sentencing us to punishment. He paid the price for our punishment. He removed the punishment. So now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For Christ Jesus is the law of the spirit and life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Verse 7. Dear children, do not let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born in God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they cannot keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously does not love other believers and does not belong to God. John is like, bam, he just said a huge amount of stuff in a short amount of verses. And it's like, whoa, John, you're being so harsh. That's so black and white. Is John literally believing in sinless perfection that we could live like this? Sinless perfection. If we just stay so united in Christ, if we just hide ourselves in the abiding place, will we never blow it? What actually makes us righteous? What makes us righteous? Our faith. Abraham was considered righteous because he put his faith in Jesus. Our faith makes us righteous. When we put our faith in the, in the Son of God, it is accredited to us as righteousness. He is righteous, and so then we are clothed with his righteousness. And our faith is believing in the Son of God. So we are made righteous by our faith in Jesus. And then we will be seen by our righteous lives. So John is making a point right now that there is a deception in his day that you could be righteous before God with no evidence of righteous living in your life. And he's confronting and rebuking this idea. John is not saying that we are made righteous by our righteous acts. Does that make sense? He's not saying that you can live so holy that you can deserve, you can earn your salvation. And he's not saying that if you blow it, your salvation is at risk. And the Bible clearly teaches that we are made righteous through faith in Jesus, yet righteousness in Jesus will be evident through the fruit of our lives. Matthew 7, 17 through 20 says, a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. We have been given the righteousness of Jesus and he is righteous. He is all the righteousness that we need. We are clothed in it because we are clothed in him. We are seated with him in heavenly places. And so it's not by, it's not by we, we judge the outward appearance, but God judges us by our hearts. 
that we will produce, that there is a true and right change in all of our actions when we are living in Christ. Let me find my spot. God has already punished our sin in Jesus on the cross, and we are made perfect by Christ's obedience. So our salvation is not contingent on what we do even after we have been saved. And here is the point that John is getting at. He goes on and on about those who live in sin are are children of the devil and those who are children of God stop sinning. He's talking about this unrepentant heart, this, this change in us when we refuse to put our faith, when we refuse to put our hope, when we refuse the gift of salvation in Jesus. That is what makes us a child of the devil or a child of God. It's as clear and simple as that is that those who choose to refuse Jesus are children of the devil, and those who put their hope in Jesus and accept salvation are children of God. John 3.16 backs this up. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. And this is the sin, and he gets there in chapter, in the same chapter, in verse 23, he talks about this is the commandment, to love, to love one another and to believe in Christ Jesus. Let me read it to you, because I'm not saying it right. And this is the command, to believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and to, to love one another as he commanded. This is the sin that he's talking about that makes us either a child of the devil or a child of God. He's not saying, look at the fruits of everybody's life and you can pick out the ones who are truly saved and the ones who are not truly saved. This is wrong. This is wrong. And I don't believe that we can keep living in a lifestyle of unproducing um, or not producing righteous living and say that we're that we're not threatening our relationship with Jesus or threatening our relationships with others. Sin is always an attack on those things, but those sins will not cause us to lose our salvation. It's only unbelief in Jesus and the power of what he did for us on the cross that can cause us to not have the eternal hope in him. So the bottom line is that all of us in this lifetime are going to sin while we're here on earth. And I think that we've made it abundantly clear today that it's not our sin that separates us from Jesus. It's our unbelief that he is, that we would not accept who he is for us and that he paid the penalty for those sins. However, there is habitual sin that happens in Christianity today. And I feel like this needs to be addressed Because we do, I feel like in our culture, we have been permissive of sin. And we've made excuses for it. We've allowed it. We've kissed kissed other people's compromise and even our own. And this is the kind of relationship with sin that leads to death and brokenness, that needs repair. And I want to say to you this morning, church, that I do think it's possible that even as Christians, that we can be saved and, lived in, and live in bondage to our sin. When we're first saved, we are completely free of the penalty of sin, meaning that we live in that place of not believing in Jesus. We are not covered by his blood. Our sins are held against us. That wrath has not been satisfied because he 
we haven't accepted in the gift of Jesus. But there's still struggles with sin. There's still habitual sin that torments us and keeps us in, in trapped and entangled. And this is bondage. And we would love to believe that Christians cannot be trapped in bondage because Jesus' death on the cross destroys that power. But we can continue to have sin issues in our life that we are not free from and still be a Christian. And we're experiencing bondage and it can be so difficult as Christians to admit that we have bondage in our life because of shame, because of condemnation of other believers, because of even scripture like this that we're reading today that says if you continue to go on sinning, we interpret that and we believe that our salvation is on the line or that God is not truly in our side or on our cor- in our corner. So we soften the language around our struggle or we soften the language around our confession. We kind of dodge where we really have sin issues rather than facing it head on. We gloss it over and we hope that it'll just like disappear. <laughs> but it, it creeps up and it entangles us. We think we finally have a grasp on it. And then COVID hits. (laughs) You know, we think we have a grasp on it. But tragedy hits. And we're right back where we started. And we need help. And we feel almost powerless over our sin. But the word of God tells us that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. It says it right in that verse that we were reading. It says, Jesus came, but the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of sin, the power of sin in our lives. He came to destroy it, not to alleviate it, not to limit it, not to neutralize it. He came to destroy it. He came to destroy it and to set the captives free. And we've been walking around like a whole bunch of captives in shame and condemnation. And he wants to set us free this morning. And he's saying, who's tied up in bondage? Because I have the keys. And it's not your responsibility, church, to set yourself free. It's your responsibility to take yourself to Jesus. It's your responsibility to lay yourself before the feet of Jesus and say, I am a mess and I need the help of Jesus. That I have problems that are too big for me to solve. And I need a dad. A dad who can solve them. And so the spirit in me who has been adopted by Abba Father cries out, Daddy God, help me because you are the only one big enough. You're the only one strong enough. You're the only one wise enough. You're the only one who knows the way out of this mess. So I sit at his feet and I let him unravel me. We take our bondage to Jesus. And we take our weaknesses to Jesus. Because Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And I am so thankful that in God, mercy triumphs over judgment. I am so grateful that God is a redeemer. I am so grateful that he is the reconciler. I am so grateful that he is the healer. 
and then it doesn't depend on me. And it doesn't depend on you this morning, church, to set yourself free. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And Satan wants believers to think that it is impossible for you to experience freedom or to be free. But Jesus will do it. Jesus will come. Jesus will be with you in that place. And it could be a slow unraveling or a quick breakthrough. It's, you just have to go there, whatever the process looks like. Verse 10, and this is how we'll end this morning. So now we can tell who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Any who do not live righteously and do not love other believers do not belong to God. So John ends the chapter with two essentials. Righteous living, putting our faith in Jesus. It's the thing that he's been reminding us the entire book. There are two things that I want you to know above all else. Love God and love others. Righteousness, putting your faith in Jesus, right standing before God. This is all that matters in this lifetime is that you get it. That he paid the price for you. That he came to earth for you. That he made a way for you because of his great love. And then love one another. Love each other. This should be the fruit of our lives, that if we have the love of the Father, that he is transforming us and it is causing us to love our other brothers and sisters, that we're putting those other things behind us because we're pursuing the one who loves us. Love and righteousness are both made perfectly, um, displayed perfectly in the nature of Jesus. He was both righteous and completely loving. Both of the things that we won't be on our own. But these will become the trademarks of our life. That we love him. That we know our great need for him. And then we extend the same mercy, the same grace, the same compassion for all the people who sit next to us in this lifetime. Jesus, I thank you, God that you are real righteousness, that you are real love. God, that you are fighting for us, that you are a defender, that you do not leave us alone in our pit of struggle, that you don't turn your back on us, that you do not abandon us, that you do not reject us, even when we struggle in our bondage, even when we struggle with our sin, even when we struggle to believe that you love us, you do not leave us or forsake us. Jesus, I pray that you would let the unraveling begin today in this place where things have been hidden, where things have gone sideways that you would be the great restorer that we would come and sit with you and you'd begin to just slowly unravel those chains 
that you would be the lifter of our heads, that you would begin to restore hope, that you would begin to bring new life and freedom and break off shame and condemnation, that you would heal, that you would restore. Daddy God, you are the only one big enough. You are the only one wise enough. We love you. Church, I want to invite you this morning to respond however you feel necessary. If it's sitting in your seat, if it's standing up, if it's dancing around because you know that you've been set free, then give him whatever expression of praise and gratitude that you feel is deserving. If it's laying on the floor and recognizing his great love, then do it. But don't hold yourself back. And let him speak to you how much he delights in you and how you are his child. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.